Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Before I jump into our uh, sermon series on Jesus manifested in the Gospels, I just want to share a really quick verse from the first chapter of James, I think is pertinent to us in 2021. We want to emphasize both strength and unity. So James chapter 1 begins uh, in verse 2 with this encouragement. James, who was one of Jesus' brothers, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I don't know uh, if you've experienced any difficult or challenging circumstances recently, but I want you to know that this is a promise from the Bible that when we experience testing of our faith, it actually strengthens us. So I just want you to think about how strong your faith is getting. I know it might not feel like it's getting stronger, but this is what the Bible says, that when your faith is tested, it is strengthened. It gets stronger deeper and will eventually bear more fruit. And when it says it will be perfect, if you notice, this is James 1, uh, 3, and probably you don't have the, James 1, 4, you probably don't have this in front of you. It says, you will be perfect and complete. And the Bible, when it talks about per- faith being perfected, it's, it, thinks, it thinks in terms of completion or wholeness or maturity. So I want to pray for us real quick, then we're going to jump into Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Jesus, I just want to I guess, draw our attention to this promise in James that every time our faith is tested, it's strengthened. And the more we lean into you, the stronger we get. So Lord, as we go through difficult circumstances, as we experience pressures and challenges, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that our roots would go deeper, that the fruit that we bear would be more long-lasting and that our faith would be strengthened, not weakened, and that you would give us endurance, and I pray that in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. So, a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a woman who uh, lives in a different state, attends another church, and she was telling me about her church. Whenever people find out I'm a pastor, they either run the other direction, or they try to, they say, oh, I'm religious, and I'm like, ooh, so we're not, think in the same way. If your first thing is I'm religious, because I'm, I would never describe myself that way. I am, uh, you know, funny. So she said, she's explained to me her church and her involvement in her church. And you could tell that she really loved her pastor. She was kind of like proud of him and bragging on him. And she said that she, her pastor, he's not kind of the, the old stodgy, you know, closed minded pastor. Her pastor is very open-minded. He recently started studying Buddhism and so open-minded, right? And started incorporating Buddhist teachings into his sermons. And his explanation was, by studying Buddhism, I've become a better Christian. So um, I took a deep breath or else I was going to have another aneurysm uh, and black out and wake up to just bodies everywhere. (laughs) So my, my conviction is studying Jesus makes you a better Christian. 
not studying Buddha or anything else. Like, it's like, you know, I don't have to, it's like if I said I study other women to make me a better husband, you know? Like, isn't that ridiculous? And so it's, it's an absurd proposition, and I couldn't believe that I was hearing it, but this is the, it led me to this. What is going on in the church in the United States? This is, her pastor's leading her down this path. Does, do we even know what it is to follow Jesus? And if the church doesn't know what it is to follow Jesus, does the world, how would they know? If, if this is what we present, how would they possibly have a correct idea of what it means to follow Jesus? And the more I thought about it, I realized like what the world thinks following Jesus really looks like. I started thinking about my experience throughout my life of what, what I thought church was about before I you know, started following Jesus, before I became a pastor, what I thought church was about, what I think following Jesus was about, and how my view of those things has had to change. So a lot of people, their thought of church and what it means to follow Jesus is you go to church and you try to restrain your boredom for an hour or two or three. And so people will often fall asleep in church uh, and they'll get tired and they'll get lethargic. So I have a picture. I'm going to put a couple pictures up of uh, what people think of when they think of what it means to follow Jesus. If you guys can throw those slides up for me. Okay. This is unfortunately what some people think following Jesus is. Brainwashing your kids into hateful protests, right? If you can go to the next slide. This is what some people think following Jesus is. This is Kenneth Copeland. I do not uh, um, endorse him or his teaching, but that's his $760 million jet that he needed to buy because when he flies commercial, he's just in a metal tube full of demons. Those are his words. The metal tube full of demonized people, so I need to buy my own private jet. Now, coincidentally, a metal tube full of demonized people was one of the slogans that SEPTA considered for the L. Um, <laughs> this is Peter Popoff, another televangelist that I don't endorse, who's selling miracle spring water. And if you buy the spring water, it'll release supernatural, never mind the blood of Jesus or the filling of the Holy Spirit. This water, this is what you need. Uh, this is what some people think following Jesus is. You know, hate, uh, greed, magic. I would call this miracle spring water magic. See this uh, headline at the top, church allowed abuse by priest for years. This is from the Boston Sunday Globe in 2002. Just like, it's leadership scandals, sex scandals, hiding and shuffling. This is what some people think that following Jesus is. Give me the next slide. No, not that one. No, not that one. All right, I think we've covered, no, no, stop those. I don't know how, where those came from. So some people think that following Jesus is living your best life now, prospering. Some people that think that following Jesus is falling on the floor and shaking and screaming. And that's kind of what I think if you ask the average American, what is following Jesus? What does that look like? What does that consist of? They would tell you stories like this. They would give you pictures like this. So I wanted today to kind of get back to the basics of what does it look like to follow Jesus because Jesus actually did address that very question 
with his longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He's answering the question to the crowd, what's it gonna look like if we follow you? At this point in Jesus's ministry, he's already, now I know in Matthew it doesn't, it doesn't unfold on, on this timeline, but in, in the other gospels like Luke, it, it unfolds where Jesus has already been healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding the hungry, teaching with authority about love and forgiveness and the kingdom of God. He's been teaching about repentance. And all these powerful things that Jesus has been doing has been drawing a crowd. People have been following Jesus, coming up to Jesus, and this crowd has gathered. And one of the questions that they're asking is, what is it gonna look like if I follow Jesus? So once Jesus has this crowd gathered, he begins to teach them. And I wanna explain a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount before we're gonna actually read the entire Sermon on the Mount. But I wanna explain the Sermon on the Mount so that when we read it, you can find what Jesus intended for them to find. The central idea of the Sermon on the Mount is found right almost in the middle of the sermon. It's in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. The main idea of the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus says, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now I know that the way we use the word perfect almost gets people uptight. Almost like, you know, you can't, uh, you have to be flawless, you can't do anything wrong, you can't even make a mistake, you can't sneeze, you know, like, perfect. That is not, I mean, that's part of what perfect means in the Bible, but as I mentioned from the book of James, when the Bible talks about being perfect the way God is perfect, it's saying, be whole, be complete. This word, Telios actually means to be mature or to be full grown. You could easily say that this is telling us to be mature or full grown in our faith the way that God is mature in the way that he uh, interacts with us. So the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation into full grown Christianity. Not immature Christianity, not early baby Christianity, not weak Christianity, not compromised Christianity. The Sermon on the Mount is actually telling us that if Christianity, if following Jesus is allowed to grow into its full stature, nothing stops it. It's gonna look like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So the Sermon on the Mount, you can paraphrase it this way, it's full-grown Christianity. It's mature Christianity, not immature Christianity, because I think for the most part, America has been exposed to immature Christianity, not full-grown Christianity. So the Sermon on the Mount is full-grown, full-blown Christianity. The Sermon on the Mount addresses a variety of topics. It's not just about how to you know, attend church and you know, be involved. The Sermon on the Mount talks about our attitudes. The first portion in Matthew 5 talks about attitudes and mindsets as we approach different aspects of life. The Sermon on the Mount talks about how to live in relationship with other people. Jesus never intended that his disciples would be isolated from one another. So much of his teaching was practical about how you're gonna relate to other people. The Sermon on the Mount addresses things like sexuality and, and your money and finances. I mean, it touches on stuff like that. The Sermon on the Mount talks, tells us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount tells us about how we're supposed to do charitable giving. 
and how we're to engage in uh, helping people out in our community. The Sermon on the Mount talks about emotions. It gives us a worldview and tells us how it ends up, uh, the Sermon on the Mount concludes telling us how to build our life and what kind of foundation to build it on, which is a, uh, to say that we should have a biblical worldview and build our lives on a biblical worldview. So the Sermon on the Mount is comprehensive. It's not just a couple you know, tips here and there. It really covers all of life. It's the ideal for how Christians should live. Now, I'm gonna read the Sermon on the Mount and then I'm gonna explain that, listen, no one has ever perfectly fulfilled this other than Jesus. We'll get to that in a moment, but I, uh, I have a high awareness of irony and I thought it would be too ironic if I tried to preach a sermon on a sermon. I was telling Kendra this, like, it's Jesus' longest sermon. If I preach about it, it's only going to be down, right? Like, I'm not going to do as good as Jesus if I try to summarize and throw a couple things out at you. It seemed like it would be painfully awkward if I didn't just read the whole Sermon on the Mount for us. So, uh, Kevin, would you mind joining me up on stage? Here's what we're going to do. This is going to take 13 or 14 minutes. But I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. I'm going to have this, words will be up on the screen. You can follow this in your Bible just for today. I know this might shock some of you. I am not using the New American Standard. Well, I needed something that was going to be easier to follow, so I'm going to use a New Living Translation. I know. It's good. It's fine. It's legit. But this is going to be easier for us to follow. The words will be on the screen. Kevin's going to provide a little bit of music. I'm going to read this. It's a little over 2,000 words. It's about 111 verses. I'm going to do my best to pretty much just read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to insert maybe four or five sentences to help us follow the train of thought. But other than that, we're just going to read uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount. So this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And he addressed their internal attitudes. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. 
Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I'm warning you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. We learn from the rest of the New Testament, the way to obtain a righteousness that is better than the Pharisees is to obtain a righteousness from Jesus. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely will not be free again until you've paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce, but I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't even make vows. Don't say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. So we would say, I swear on my mother's grave. They said, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by my head. So Jesus says, don't even make vows. Don't say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Don't say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. Don't say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. 
If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He then says this about religious activities. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. I want to illustrate this one. You know, this year the Philadelphia Eagles gave $1 million to COVID research. You know how I know that? Because they issued a press release telling us all how much money they gave to charity. This is what Jesus is warning against. And I don't expect football teams necessarily to follow the Bible, but we don't need to tell everybody what we've done. We don't need to impress people with our religious behaviors. Religious activities that take place in public are rewarded by man. Religious activities that take place in private are rewarded by God. About prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So anytime anyone asks, do I have to forgive someone? Let me just read this verse again. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is not about they need to apologize. They're dead. How can I forgive them? This is about... Do you want to be the recipient of God's forgiveness? When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, 
and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and also be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't judge other people and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite? First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn to attack you. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread... Do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those that ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount helping them discern between true and false, right and wrong. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. But not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against those, uh, the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my preaching and doesn't obey it is, a foolish, is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So when Jesus taught this, he was telling them what full-grown Christianity is going to look like. So thank you, Kevin, for helping us. I appreciate that. Can we give Kevin a round of applause real quick? You can grab Kevin's album, the, just what the doctor ordered in the back. <laughs> okay, that was a good joke. This sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is full-grown Christianity. Not flopping on the ground, having a private jet, protesting in hate. That's not full-grown Christianity. That's not mature Christianity. Forgiveness is full-grown Christianity. Private devotion that results in public impact, that's full-grown Christianity. And this is what Jesus was telling this crowd. Now, if you read the Sermon on the Mount and you say, this is impossible, you're reading it correctly. It is impossible. I mean, for you and I to just sit down and make a New Year's resolution, I'm going to obey the Sermon on the Mount perfectly by January 1st, 10 a.m., You'll have screwed it up, right? It's, it, it is impossible for you and I relying on our own strength and our own ability to fulfill this. So here's this opportunity that the, the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount can live in you. The, this is where the, the ser, you don't just need the sermon, but the sermonizer, Jesus, the one who delivered this by the Holy Spirit can actually dwell inside of you. A.B. Simpson said that the Sermon on the Mount finds its only perfect fulfillment in Jesus himself. And so before you think that you're going to set off to try to live this life by making some resolutions and some commitments and writing some things on note cards and putting them on your mirror, which is, those are all fine things to do, but those things don't bring the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need Jesus to dwell in you if you're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount. He's the only one that ever perfectly fulfilled the Sermon on the Mount. A pastor that I love from Philadelphia, I think he wrapped up his ministry in the early 2000s, he said the Sermon on the Mount calls for pure righteousness that flows from a regenerated heart. That was James Montgomery Boyce. 
It's pure righteousness that flows from a regenerated heart. What is a regenerated heart? It is a heart that has been born again. That's how Jesus described it to Nicodemus in John 3 and John 4. A heart that has been totally born again. So I don't, I don't want to send you out today and say, okay, grit your teeth and just do your best. Try to fulfill this Sermon on the Mount because we'll all be disappointed and frustrated. This is what I want to send you out with today. If Jesus has regenerated your heart and he has provided, as he said, the Holy Spirit without measure, that is the strength and the power that we rely on to live out a Sermon on the Mount type of life. Jesus said that he gives the Holy Spirit without measure, meaning no limits. He doesn't hold back. You know, it's not everybody gets one gallon of Holy Spirit because I only have a limited supply of Holy Spirit, so I need to divvy it out. The Holy Spirit is unlimited, which means he doesn't have to hold back when he pours the Holy Spirit on you. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without limit or without measure. So, why does it feel like that we have limitations? Who puts those limitations? Us, right. Jesus doesn't give the Holy Spirit without, uh, with measure, we do. We say, here's as much as I'm willing to take. Here's as far as I'm willing to go. I need enough Holy Spirit to just keep me from killing someone, but I don't need enough Holy Spirit to make me a forgiving person who has an impact on the world for Jesus. We put limits on how much of the Holy Spirit we're gonna experience. We put limits on how much of the Bible we're gonna obey. He doesn't put limits on us. We put limits on ourselves. So the, the Sermon on the Mount is the standard. And I want to encourage us as we go out to raise the standard up to the level of the Sermon on the Mount because if we do that, we'll become more aware of our need for the Holy Spirit. If you actually take the Sermon on the Mount and say, I guess this is what Jesus wants. I mean, I guess this is full-grown Christianity. This is what a mature Christian behaves like. You're going to say, well, then I'm nowhere near that, so I obviously need the Holy Spirit. I obviously need to abide in Jesus more if I'm going to live this life. This, if this is the standard, this is also how we measure things. You know, can I participate in this organization? Can I attend this event? Well, does it honor the Sermon on the Mount? Does it look like a Sermon on the Mount approved organization, event, attitude, practice, behavior? Does it fit that? So I want to pray for us that we would not put limits that we would have the standard, hold up the standard of the Sermon on the Mount, and that we would rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Jesus to fulfill that. All right, would you mind standing with me while I pray for us? I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna ask even if a few of you would be willing to pray out loud along these same lines. Jesus, we hold up the standard of the Sermon on the Mount, that this is your ideal for what the church would be like. Not uh, a nice building with a bunch of programs, but a people who live the way you've described in this sermon. A people who forgive. A people who are not trying to look spiritual. A people who love to pray. A people who are not judgmental. But also a people that in wisdom build their house on bedrock and discern right from wrong. 
a people who know how to interact and have relationships with other people, a people who walk in sexual purity, a people who steward money well. This is your standard. You're calling us to this. And through the Holy Spirit, you empower us to walk more and more toward this maturity, toward this full-grown Christianity. Would you help us to throw off fake forms of Christianity that don't reflect the Sermon on the Mount, to reject those as false and give us discernment? Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.